this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Welcome to Just Science, a podcast for forensic science professionals and anyone who is interested in learning more about how real crime laboratories work. In Episode 7 of the 2019 R&D season, Just Science interviews Dr. Audrey Smakas, a professor in the Tickle College of Engineering at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, about an image cloud platform for use in tagging and research on decomposition database. Over the last few decades, researchers at the University of Tennessee Knoxville Forensic Anthropology Center have been photographing and cataloging the decomposition of the subjects in their body farm. With the help from Dr. Audrey Magas, they're turning this collection into an image database for both research and forensic investigation. Listen in as Dr. Magas discusses the database and its potential impact on both post-mortem interval estimation and our understanding of human decomposition. If you are interested in emerging drug topics, please visit ForensicsCOE.org to learn more about the upcoming NIJ Policy and Practice Forum on July 18th and 19th in Washington, D.C. This season is funded by the National Institute of Justice's Forensic Technology Center of Excellence. Here's your host, Dr. John Morgan. Welcome to Just Science, the podcast for forensic science professionals. I'm your host, John Morgan. With the Forensic Technology Center of Excellence, operated by RTI International and funded by the National Institute of Justice, FTCOE, provides technology transition resources. Please check out our resources at www.forensiccoe.org. And we cover just about every forensic science discipline for professionals like yourself or just interested people who want to learn more about where the research is heading in the field. Today's guest is Dr. Aldris Machis who has a PhD from Carnegie Mellon and is the Erickson Harlan D. Mills Chair and Professor in the Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science at the University of Tennessee. His uh, latest interest concerns models of the uh, open source software ecosystem based on version control data, uh, which is not what we're going to be talking about today. But he also has an interest in anthropological phenomena hidden in large image collections, which we are going to be talking about today. He's interested in recovering information and creating models of reality for big operational data. He's worked at Avaya Research, AT&T, and Lucent Labs. Welcome to the podcast, Audrey. Thank you. So uh, you're with the University of Tennessee, and obviously Tennessee has the very notable body farm there. And the body farm has actually gotten to be quite extensive over the years, and that's created a big data problem, hasn't it? Yeah, so uh, I was uh, actually uh, been here for a year or so until I sort of realized there's this interesting collection. I was told by my former advisor of, of that I was working on sort of large image collections before, and he said, "Look, I mean, uh, this is uh, this is a fantastic opportunity for you to take a look into that." So this uh, particular collection has uh, over a million images uh, collected uh, over about 70 years by now. And uh, images are taken, you know, daily of every uh, subject. And uh, every day you have about 40 different photos. They're taken by hand. They're not particularly easy to sort of analyze computers. Uh, but their purpose wasn't really originally to do that. The purpose was to document 
the decomposition process because, you know, once it's over, it's over. You can't go back and, and see what happened uh, without any sort of documentation. Yeah, and it's becoming a, an even bigger problem just because the level of donations to the University of Tennessee Body Farm is quite substantial. And so I think I heard the figure that, uh, you know, they're getting over 100 donations a year now. So they are going to have, like you're saying, 40 active at least bodies in decomposition on the site. And that's an incredible trove of information for the research community more broadly to be able to take advantage of. That's right. So there's over already over 500 subjects there in the photos, and uh, it's going to be growing faster. To be frank, uh, there are other body farms, in, you know, in different uh, weather conditions around the country, around the world, and they're all uh, trying to, you know, follow the lead of Anthropological Research Facility, which is the name of of this particular facility, uh, also taking photos as well. So the challenge is, is really not just for this uh, facility, but also more generally. Uh, we actually just did a postmortem interval workshop at American Academy of Forensic Science. And although there's an enormous amount of scientific work that's done, there's not enough work that's been done relating multiple mechanisms by which you can estimate PMI. And therefore, you can have a lot of disconnect among different approaches, having a data set that cuts across all of the different remains and conditions that you can uh, do the kind of analysis that your work enables, I think is an extraordinary advance and very, very important. So my, my vision, the original vision, was something of the following, is that you have, say, crime or just uh, any sort of law enforcement situation where you have a potential crime scene, say, and you have a, some photo of that, that crime scene, right? So one of the first things is, you know, reconstruct how things got to the point they are when the potential crime scene was observed, maybe body was found somewhere in the forest or some other place. My sort of vision is that, well, you take a photo of that, of that crime scene, then you basically take that photo and match it against all the possible decay scenarios that we have in, in this anthropological research. And you basically say, well, here's a bunch of these that match the most closely. And you can look at them and sort of uh, get some idea uh, about possible, you know, PMIs that could be there um, simply based on, on very simple input. Well, that's really interesting. In other words, you know, there are obviously a lot of environmental variables that can affect uh, a particular PMI and a particular body that's decomposing, as well as, you know, pre-mortem experience with the body that, that can happen. And so by being able to take a particular uh, crime scene case and by doing a match of the photo database that you're working with as well as have tagged and, and have an ability to access, you can actually match up those variables against what might be in a particular case to be able to do a more accurate PMI estimation. Exactly. So uh, one example would be that you could match not just the photo, but you could also match the weather conditions, which we also keep track of and associate with every, every image in the database as well. If you get the historic weather information for a specific uh, location and the crime scene, you could search for that in the database as well, as well as the images itself. Now, 
I should say that the purpose of, of exposing content of the images is a little bit more general than uh, just doing a PMI estimation, simply because, uh, as I was told, again, I'm not the big uh, forensic scientist, but uh, as anthropologists uh, here say, there's not a very good understanding on how certain things happen, in particular things like mummification and other, uh, other things that could be observed on the corpses that, you know, sometimes they, they happen under certain conditions, sometimes they happen under very different conditions. And and uh, understanding exactly when certain features are prevalent is, is very important. And therefore, the primary purpose of this attempt is to essentially do three things. First is to take this uh, million images and allow people at least go and browse them. Right now, it's very sort of difficult even to find what you need, uh, even if you, if you know what you need. To allow them to basically say, here's a separation by subjects, here's separation by some demographic factors, here's separation maybe by seasons, and so forth. Second part involves actually something a little bit more. It says, well, there's certain things that forensic people want to see, whether it be uh, researchers or law enforcement, they want to find. They have certain types of uh, forensic features that they are looking for, for example, in crime scene and elsewhere. And they want to find images that correspond to these features. Now, uh, these uh, features, unfortunately, like one of them I mentioned, the mummification, there could be maggots, there could be other features. So first step we did, we created a nomenclature that sort of defined what common terms are used in human decomposition. And then we uh, developed a system whereby a postdoc or graduate researcher would go in and create tags, essentially mark the parts of these images with a specific uh, feature from that nomenclature. And so that way, over two years, we have created 2,000 images with about 5,000 these distinct uh, features to start the collection. There are several different pads, of course, that a corpse can take. Uh, the mummification is certainly one of them. It can be skeletonized. You can have, if it's in water, you're going to have a different set of, of changes as well. You know, you have pre and post bloat and things of that nature. And so being able to actually examine very specifically how that works is very useful. I love this idea of nomenclature because I do believe that that is nomenclature and standards are where science begins. And being able to have an accepted nomenclature is extraordinarily valuable. Let's take a step back a little bit just to make sure folks know. So this is called the Cloud Platform for Use in Tagging and Research on Decomposition, I-C-P-U-T-R-D. I see putrid, uh, I guess. I don't know whether that's uh, deliberate or not. But And it's been funded by NIJ. You had an initial NIJ grant, and you've just started a, a second grant as well. So can you kind of lay out, too, because not only do we want to give credit to NIJ, but we want to kind of give people a, a feel for kind of where you're sitting, kind of where the initial grant began and ended, and then what you're expecting to do under the new grant. So I sort of described more or less uh, the, 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 the content of the initial grant. So the idea of initial grant was to organize this collection, allow access to that collection, develop the nomenclature of the uh, human decomposition terms, and manually mark images uh, containing these. And that's kind of uh, been completed. We also did a user study just to validate that what we did works well. We actually not quite finished. We're going to do another user study this summer. We did a user study with researchers, but we want to do a user study with law enforcement officials. Basically, user study asks three questions. First question is, uh, can people use the system? So we give them specific terms from nomenclature and ask them, 
can you find images with these tags? Second question is uh, basically a question about the completeness of nomenclature. We say, well, now go ahead and search for whatever you care about, whatever, uh, whatever images you are interested in. Then we look at what people typed in to see if perhaps they invent some new terms that we don't have in the nomenclature. And the third part of the user study was essentially a consistency of you know, what's called cross-rate reliability. Do people mark these uh, forensic features in the same way? If we have uh, 10 people and we ask them to uh, annotate, uh, you know, tag the same image, you know, how similar their tags were. And for the most part, that's been a success. So that's kind of the, the grant that's, that's over. The third element in particular is of some interest because, of course, that's been an issue within a broader range of forensic disciplines. And that is, for example, does a latent print examiner approach uh, a crime scene print uh, the same way as another examiner? Do they determine whether they go into uh, an APHIS search or, or of high enough quality for an APHIS search in the same way? And, and that kind of consistency and cross-rater reliability is an interesting general issue within forensic science. Are the law enforcement people who you're going to be working with in the summer uh, users study, are they, are they people who are actually going to be applying this kind of thing in practice already? So you'll have some people who are practitioners that uh, you're examining in the summer? So yeah, the hope is that the, these are the people who come here to, uh, to take courses you know, related to the body farm. And so some will be from FBI, some from local law enforcement. So the hope is that these would be actually real practitioners. And, and of course, uh, you're not uh, studying uh, them per se, but you're really looking at the usability of the database. But it, it is of some interest with respect to how consistent they would be and how they approach the, uh, the images. Exactly. I think the, this kind of brings back to the next grant. So what we have is over two years, we've got like 5,000 tags. We have 2,000 images tagged. And uh, it takes, uh, takes quite a bit of effort to do these tagging. Like one image to tag, you know, takes maybe 20 minutes. Uh, if it's a complicated image, it could take even longer. So if we have uh, 2,000 images tagged, we've got uh, 998,000 images that are still untagged, right? So um, to do that, you know, through pure manual tagging is, is certainly is out of question. So what we're trying to do is we're trying uh, right now developing uh, machine learning techniques that learn from these existing tags that are already made and uh, try to sort of tag automatically the remaining images. So we have the full collection uh, more or less tagged. And so there's, of course, a lot of difficult challenges lying around, and I can mention just some of them. Additional machine learning techniques, they expect very cleanly annotated images uh, where every feature is marked. And, you know, if you have a million maggots on an image, you really can't mark every maggot. That uh, all the features are tagged. Uh, it's not feasible. We really need to cover a lot more images. You know, if we wanted to do that, we could do like maybe one or two images in a half a year. So we can't do that. And it requires a lot of examples for each class, that is for each specific type of nomenclature. And we have about 100 terms. So really, uh, what we need to do is we're really kind of beyond what the traditional, what sort of state of the art in machine learning is. We need to deal with these challenges. And so that's what we're trying to address with the second grant, is come up with a way to have this kind of human in the loop or expert in the loop tagging system that sort of you produce certain tags and then the system sort of produces some predictions. It gives them back to you and then you see either agree with them or you disagree with them or you correct it. 
that way the system sort of learns as fast as possible and requires minimal number of tags in order to, to achieve high accuracy. So that's, that's one of the goals. The second goal we want to achieve, and I forgot to mention is we, to some extent we achieved, but we need to experiment with it, is collaborative nature. So if you have two or three researchers tagging images, it would be nice if they could share that information together. And, and we sort of tested that a little bit with this cross-rater reliability in the tagging. But it would be interesting to kind of uh, allow people to have like kinds of tags. One is like curators, which use these official tags that we somehow trust them, and then allow any researcher to create any tags they want. But then if they feel comfortable, they can share them with others, let others verify them. But if they're not, they keep them to themselves. So uh, images are the same, but the tags could come from multiple individuals. And then we have this kind of collaborative uh, approach where we allow more than you know, one team to really go ahead and, and do the tagging. And that way sort of increase the productivity as well. So we're kind of looking at two ways. One is automating this process and another way is involving other researchers and law enforcement officials as well. If they use the system, that they would actually also produce their own tax and we have some mechanism of quality control so we can incorporate them into into a overall set of tax. So I'm going back to you kind of your overall research interests with respect to open source software and dealing with big operational data and image data and that kind of thing. This is a perfect data set for somebody with your research interest. <laughs> Can you tell me, is there a comparable community out there that is doing something similar to this? I mean, is there a model that you're working off of or kind of what is this building off of more broadly technically from beyond the forensic science realm in terms of how image analysis is done and sharing, you know, kind of a community uh, practice in terms of how, how images might be analyzed? Right. So that's a very good point. Yes. Yeah, so my background is really, as you mentioned in the beginning, I spent a lot of times, 25 years analyzing software development and particular open source software development. Now, open source software development is a particular community that's centered around specific data, which is the source code that they sort of reuse from others and, uh, and contribute uh, back to the community and others build on it. So it's been immensely successful. Nobody believed it 20 years ago. Now, uh, you know, every, everybody relies on it. So it turns out you can make lots of money on that. So in yeah. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there was a lot of backlash about that, especially for Microsoft, but now Microsoft is big embracer of that as well. So I'm sort of modeling a little bit based on that is how much you can do if you share your knowledge with others and build on, on sort of validated knowledge. So there's, of course, challenges there, right? So how can you trust that this code, this component that you're going to use is going to work for you? Uh, and there's various ways that could be done in trying to do that and trying to build, uh, build on the knowledge from there. So that's kind of one, one thing that inspired this collaboration, at least, aspect. Another example is, in general, in science, is that a lot of science really grows based on really common shared databases. And I think if we could construct something like that for forensic community, especially, uh, you know, specifically for human decomposition, but maybe in other areas as well, I think, I think that could uh, spur a lot more research because now people really have large data sets on which to try their approaches, easy to validate which approach works, you can do competitions, it's been tremendously successful. So I'm also kind of uh, using that example from machine learning community 
where they share the text databases, where they share the image databases as well, uh, and trying to sort of apply, you know, apply some of that uh, aspects here as well. Well, that's that's fascinating. So, so how is it that folks from outside of the University of Tennessee can be a part of this community that you're building, either as researchers or practitioners? That's an excellent question. So one of the first things that I realized is forensic science is quite different from open source software development. There's a very big deal, it's not just forensic science, but in law enforcement in general, about trust. Do I trust this source of information? Do I trust this individual? Do I trust this colleague in another agency? It really does sometimes stand in the way of our ability to get the most value out of the information that we have. So I totally respect that. I think there's a good reasons for that. I think another challenge to this, and again, these are my desires, another challenge that I talked with a number of people who run these body farms is that the data they produce is their kind of crown jewel. They want to really control the access to that data as possible. So to answer your question, yes, just uh, write to the director of the uh, our research center and uh, uh, Donnie Sedman, and she will, you know, arrange for you to to have access, do research either on premises or hopefully, you know, by next year we will have online access set up so that you can actually, you know, do have this access remotely as well. So, yes, it, it is a challenge, and I, I understand the reason for that uh, challenge, but I do think we, we need to move in the, in the right direction from this perspective. And right now, I think the, the way to proceed is we want to see more use cases, real use cases, both of research and practical forensic investigation that are using this data set because that will allow to build a, you know, a better system that anyone could use elsewhere. So if you just want to use the not the image collection itself, but actual software that allows uh, these images to be exposed. So you have some other image collection that you want to use it on. That software is developed in open source manner. It's on uh, Bitbucket, uh, all the code. So uh, you can you know, obviously copy it and run it in your cases. If you want access to the specific images, then you have to go through the proper channel. The reason that uh, we have to go through this is because the image collection you know, includes donors that their family members might, you know, care about that information being uh, kept private, and therefore uh, this is this uh, the, the images themselves cannot be published on the on the public web. And that's uh, obviously very well understood. I think people will want to make sure that we are sensitive to that, and that there is a distinction between the professionals who need to access the data and the general public. And now, of course, we have a web page devoted to each of the podcasts. And so people who are interested in any of those links to Bitbucket or to contact how to contact Donnie Sedman, we'll make sure that that's available from the webpage that houses this particular podcast for people to follow up on. One of the things, of course, is trying to facilitate a variety of research studies through the platform, including ones that maybe you don't even necessarily kind of predict. I mean, it's interesting to think about all the different ways that you might be able to look at this data. Have you all been able to facilitate any research studies? Or are you anticipating particular pieces of research that are uh, going to be leveraging the cloud platform? Yes. So we're uh, looking at uh, the, so the user study was kind of initial attempt to do these kinds of very kind of lightweight, short-term research studies. But right now we're involved in trying to actually conduct real forensic study, in particular trying to understand the 
conditions that are conducive to mimification. And there's some challenges there, even though we, we do have, for example, the weather information associated with each particular image. We really additional work on sampling strategies because uh, the images that we have tagged are not necessarily a random representation of the images. So if we see some association of say mummification with weather patterns, that might simply be serious. We need to sort of uh, kind of figure out ways to do that a little bit better. We're sort of in the process of doing this study. We hope to have more studies of this kind and, and maybe this first one will give us some guidance on how to suggest other people uh, proceed in, in these kinds of situations. And as I kind of alluded to up front, there's some excellent research in the area, you know, in terms of not only post-mortem interval, but as you mentioned, and other post-mortem effects and how that tells you information about the decedent. But most of those studies are based on a very small number of individuals. Just by nature, the, the research kind of does not lend itself to high numbers of cases. So I think it's really kind of a useful tool here in terms of validation of a lot of the research work. I hope that a lot of researchers will take a look at this data set and say, okay, I, my three or four could ever study indicated this particular kind of effect by looking at hundreds of cadavers across a wider variety of data, I might be able to validate or understand what the variabilities are in my results. I think in some respects that might be the most valuable uh, thing, at least in the near term, that can come out of the work that you're doing. Yeah, so I have a specific scenario in mind. So for example, with this, uh, one of the challenges I mentioned, we only have very small fraction of images tagged, right? And if you're looking for specific features, you want to see more of them tagged. So from that perspective, with uh, one of the useful features would be to add machine learning to help. So perhaps uh, instead of randomly choosing one out of uh, 900,000 uh, images to look for the feature they're interested, whether it be mummification or something else, and tag additionally, we'll use this algorithm that would narrow it down and maybe give you maybe a, a thousand images where it's very highly likely to occur. So you can actually, even though it's not 100% accurate, at least it reduces the effort needed to conduct these studies tremendously. So that's one of the one of the immediate thoughts that I had in terms of how to sort of incorporate not just the software itself of browsing ability, but also how to incorporate some of the machine learning techniques and uh, understand that they, they may not be very accurate, but they could help in narrowing down the validation effort substantially for, for researchers trying to sort of capture much larger collection of cases. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we're giving folks an early warning on a piece of research and a uh, new tool that my guess is is going to be a routine tool in, in casework in coming years. I don't maybe in a year, maybe in five years, but I expect that uh, this is going to be something where every practitioner doing work in the postmortem is going to be very interested in being able to access this tool and use it on a on a routine basis. It's really exciting to kind of see it in its infancy as, as you're building it and hear kind of the, the background of kind of your thinking about it and, and the ambitions that are sitting with us right now. So the, my hope is that this study that we're going to do with law enforcement will give some ideas on what kind of scenarios they pursue. And so we can sort of adjust uh, or add features that would be conducive for them. The example I gave is more of kind of focused more on researchers trying to, to find some, you know, fundamental relationships. And I presume that law enforcement would have slightly different scenarios and maybe 
then you know we'll as as we do this user study, maybe we'll find ways to to support them uh, better in a way that that this vision of everyone using it in uh, in their casework uh, would actually be realized sooner rather than later. That's fantastic. Well, I certainly appreciate the fact that you're willing to spend some time with us on Just Science today. I know that listeners are are going to be really really interested to uh, to download and listen. To, uh, to this particular material, and I, I certainly appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to be with us today. Thank you for having me. And I want to thank you listeners out there for, uh, for downloading Just Science. Please uh, make sure to give us lots of likes and thumbs up on the podcast platform of your choice, and also tell your friends and colleagues about Just Science and all of the uh, interesting forensic science research and development that's occurring. Thank you so much for being with us today. Next week, Just Science interviews Dr. Igor Lednev about Raymond microspectroscopy and advanced statistics for the detection and characterization of gunshot residue. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding. 